Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. You know, I want to take a second and thank each and every one of you for the continued support. It's amazing how the show continues to grow week after week. We got a lot of great feedback on last week's episode of A Little More Rain featuring Braxton Nielsen and all of the inspirational speaking he does related to his motto, Born to Succeed. Now this week we're back to our foundational format and our guest is horseman Matt Robertson. Now Matt grew up in the States, but is currently working on nearly 70,000 acres for a grazing association in Alberta, Canada. In addition to all the work that he does with horses and cattle, he has been a singer and songwriter for the last 20 years. After listening to this episode, head on over to mattrobertsoncowboymusic.com for more information on previous albums released and information regarding his upcoming album that he's working on. Again, you can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under that Freedom Rain podcast. I learned a lot in this week's conversation. Here is Matt Robertson. Matt, good morning. How are you? Not too bad. How are you today? Doing very well. I want to take a second to thank you before we get too deep into today's conversation. We sure appreciate you making time for everybody at Let Freedom Rain Podcast. We're very much looking forward to hearing your experiences with the horse growing up and learning a little bit more about your country music. Yeah, I'm looking forward to being on your show and I sure appreciate you having me out. Yeah, now a huge thank you is deserved to Nikki Flundra for putting us in contact and Later on in the in September, you and I will be visiting Heart of the Horse, and hopefully we'll have a chance to catch up then and maybe record a little bit more content. But uh, before we get too deep in anything, let's uh, just talk about what you got going on the last couple of weeks. Uh, you're currently on the road, and I know you live a pretty busy schedule. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I work at a grazing association in Alberta. Um, and we're sort of in the middle of a drought, so we just started getting cattle in. So basically, we take cattle from a lot of different farmers and ranchers around the area, and the maximum allotment is 70 head per patron, and we've got about 30 patrons, and we run on about 70,000 acres from May, June till, you know, usually try for middle of October, this year is going to be short, we're going to need rain, and... Uh, other than that, I, I'm a singer-songwriter. I've been, I've had four albums out. And I've been doing that for quite a few years. And uh, today I'm headed down to Pincher Creek. There's a ranch bronc riding. There's 5,000 added. And uh, after that, there's uh, going to be a little bit of a party. And I'm playing music afterwards. So, yeah, life is busy and I get it lots of cool things <laughs> i would say 5,000 added is not a bad reason to jump in the truck and take a shot at it huh no <laughs> I, I, I keep I, I keep threatening to retire but i keep get happening to get on so I don't know. yeah it's funny how opportunities just present themselves right that's right good stuff good stuff so uh you actually grew up in the united states uh so let's talk a little bit about your uh your upbringing in wyoming how you made your way to Canada and we'll, we'll walk the story of life from there. Yeah, I was born and raised in Wyoming and uh, I grew up, my folks were 
Western folks. We I didn't really grow up on a big ranch per se or anything like that. Uh, my folks always had livestock. Uh, Dad worked as a brand inspector, and we moved around a lot. Um, through it all, I've been horseback ever since I can remember, and uh, you know when I was younger, you know. A lot, just like a lot of people, but back then, we didn't really have a lot. We had enough. If I wanted to make any money, um, one way I found how to do that was my brother and I would start colts. And I started riding colts when I was about 14 and to make some money. And that's kind of how the whole horse breaking deal started. Um, went into high school rodeo and got to travel around and make a lot of friends and acquaintances and I think that probably shaped my life bigger than anything at the time yeah in high school I got a ranch job when I was a senior on a bigger ranch outside of town for a really nice family and uh, that was my introduction into the real cowboy life I thought I kind of knew a lot until I went there (laughs) and uh, I was night cabin heifers for the for him and then I'd go to school in the daytime and um, I went to welding school after high school and I did that for about a summer and I went back to the ranch and you know it's a skill that I've always kind of kept in my back pocket but I've always been drawn back to being a cowboy you know it's kind of what I've always wanted to be and here we are I'm going to be 39 this year and just you know, I don't feel like any different than I did when I was 20 years old. It's maybe a little bit aches and pains, but that's... Yeah, I was going to say that as, as we get a little bit older, the mornings just start a little slower. But uh, yeah. with the horses, you know, like like as cliche as the adage is, right? When it's in your blood, it's in your blood. And it's it's hard to turn it away or, or walk away from it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm very fortunate, I, you know... A lot of it is fate and stuff, but I guess it's choices I've made to stay with the lifestyle. And you know, I'm just, I've been blessed with some talents and I've worked really hard to hone other skills. And, you know, I get to ride, work with horses, play music about horses, and do some rodeo stuff with horses. It's all the time, and that's, that's my life. It's really neat. I would say not a bad one at that. Yeah. Before we get too far along, I want to talk a little bit about, you said you started working Colts at about 14 years old. Yeah. What were some of your horsemanship influences as far as starting Colts and and working with Colts? I mean, oftentimes people kind of learn from generations past, right? Kind of heavy handed and, and you learn by getting tossed off a horse enough that maybe you're not doing things the right way. Other people, though, right, they they studied these earlier forms of horsemanship and I can't say paved an easier path, but maybe them and the horse got along a little better. What were some of your influences in horsemanship growing up in those first couple of years? Well, you know, um, my dad, he had started colts when he was younger and he could get around a young horse pretty good. Um, that being said, there was there was things that, we did that were probably not um, 
we were never meant to be mean or anything like that, but it wasn't the, was the best way, I guess. And, um, I'll tell you something that really changed my, my perspective on the whole deal was right away, you know, I say I was 14 and hang my shingle out, going to ride Colts. And so dad, you know, he knows a lot of people and he comes home with these horses that had already been started by someone else. And we didn't know that. Um, and I got on this four year old mare and she was awful. <laughs> yeah. And the one, my, the one my brother had, she, she bucked all the time. And, and I was so scared of this horse and she was so scared of me. And, you know, we'd tie a leg up and get her saddled and then I'd get on and, and I got bucked off and I was crying and dad's like, you know, if this is something you want to do, get back on. This is how it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's not, then you can go to the house so you don't have to do this. But, and so that was a defining moment of like, you got to dig down and find that courage. And, but that being said, I was so scared and there was no need for this situation to happen. And I learned down the road so many different things I could have done different. And if someone would have been there to sort of guide you through that. And so, you know, it, it really solidified in me to, if a horse is bothered, how to get them unbothered and how to get into their head so that, you know, I don't have to go through that. Someone else doesn't have to go through that intense, you know, I get, I did get the horse road. We ended up being all right, but it was, it wasn't fun, you know, and, and it was really scary. Yeah. And so I think anyway, you, you make a great point and, and it's in a, it's a huge objective of this show. I often tell people we're trying to raise the, the common level of education and horsemanship. You know, you talked about maybe you didn't do things necessarily the right way or there's a better way to do it. But I guarantee you're probably doing the best you could with what you knew at the time, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, and, you know, that's something I'm really passionate about is, um, you know, when you do find a better way, and a lot of people do, and then maybe they want to, you know, instead of using it as a like, man, I'm so grateful. Let me share it with you. Um, sometimes that what happens is people will look at other people that aren't doing it correctly or the way that they know how is best. And, and it becomes sort of a judgmental thing. And, yeah. and I would really encourage people to, I mean, if you got something that's, that's really working for you with your horses and stuff, um, you should be thankful and don't, don't look down on someone else because they're doing something um, that doesn't work as good. I mean, you should want to share that with them and, you know, if they don't accept it, that's up to them. But, you know, I, I, sorry, couldn't, I, I, no, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think we're, uh, we're going to get rolling here in a little bit. Cause you're talking about a lot of stuff that I'm passionate about as well. And in looking in that, that first experience, you know, jumping on that four-year-old and, Think of how many times that exact circumstance has happened over the history of horses and cowboys, right? Or horses and horsemen. And how many yeah. of those times those young kids get hurt, horses get hurt, right? Now people are completely turned off and don't want to be involved in any of it. Now you got a horse that's been, uh, I guess, imprinted in a negative manner, right? And now you have 
so much more of a hurdle to overcome to to get that horse's trust back and and get that horse working mentally, you know. And so much of life, in my opinion, is legacy. And and what are you going to leave for the guys coming up behind you or the women coming up behind you? And you talk to that exact point. If you learn something and you improve in your horsemanship, I feel personally, I feel that I owe it to the horseman way of life to to give a little bit back, but you have to do it with that humility. You know, so many people are looking for personal success or they want to be quote unquote famous. And and I think it's absolutely selfish and shallow if you do have that education to help somebody along and either you don't pass it on or you are judging the people that are coming up behind you that just flat don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you've been reading my mail. I I totally agree. <laughs> and and th- that was my experience coming up. You know, I, I learned the best I could with from from a pro cowboy. You know, and and he was probably teaching me the best that he knew at the time. And I I realized that something just wasn't right. You know, I just didn't feel like I was clicking with the horse, or we were gelling. You know, or forming a relationship and. And I just didn't want to be in the battles all the time, you know, and that's what motivated me to start looking into other ways of working with horses and really getting into, I mean, you really got to get between those ears and it's very difficult to do. And I guess in my, in my journey, the most challenging aspect of it is, is interpersonal awareness, right? (laughs) Yep. You know, it's, it's when I think I got it, and then you hit that little wall, then you got to peel peel back even more layers of yourself emotionally, right? And find out really where you're at between the ears yourself. Because like you talked about being so fearful on that horse, you know, if you're not emotionally convincing or you're not absolutely invested, that horse is going to read it through and through. And there's a lot of hurdles to overcome when you, when you start getting into that. Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk about, you know, personal awareness, um, you know, we talked earlier a little bit about seasons of life, but a person has to understand that, you know, I'm not the same person I was at 22 at 39. Yeah. And I know that I've definitely grown a lot and, and we do. And so don't, you know, we form habits, but it's not hanging on to the, the past um like well i you know not i didn't do it this way before and uh, so i'm not gonna try that now you know there's a ton of things i i would drill into my horses before and now i don't know if it's that important maybe here and there but it's like salt and pepper i just season each one with a different bag of tricks that you got in a way you know and you don't have to to do the same thing all the time to everything. And that's, that's this whole thing that with the horse or life is what is the absolute, you know? I mean, am I going to live today the same as I did five years ago? No. And tomorrow I might change. I'm going to adjust to fit a situation. If I work with this horse and he's this way and tomorrow I work with another horse, well, you know, I might do, a hundred things different or only put 50% of effort into that part because, you know, you just, it becomes a feel thing. You feel your life, you feel the horse and, 
And then one day you wake up and think, am I crazy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what am I actually doing here? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it's all great. And and the the whole cookie cutter approach to, to working with horses, I think, is counterintuitive. I think it's counterproductive. Um, and you talk about horsemanship and, and life comparison. You have to have the patience in yourself, right, to go with the ebbs and the flows of life. Uh, it's not always how we map it out to be, right? It's not always going to follow the plans that we have for life. We often get thrown curveballs and challenges, and I think your ability to adapt and change to those circumstances is really where people start to grow and develop and build a little confidence in themselves. And I think that's an exact parallel to horsemanship like you talked about. The way you take on one horse is not going to be the same with a second horse or a third horse. You know, it's all their own set of circumstances, their own set of challenges, their own set of perceptions. And it's up to us as the horsemen to make those adjustments and, and build comfort and confidence in these animals. Yeah, absolutely. So as you're working through your progression of horsemanship, you know, what were some of your defining moments in, in affirmation that you're on the right track? Well, um, like I said, I kind of would start out when I was younger. Um, Dad knew a little bit of Ray Hunt stuff, a um, little bit around pin work and stuff that you could get a horse's eye, you could get him to face up, you could get him to change directions and all this stuff. Um, so I got exposed to that. and I, um, But we'd still tie a leg up and let them buck around and just get on. And, and, you know, looking back, there was really nothing wrong with any of that. If you're, if you're working with just kind of green colts that are, um, just going to go to work and, and, you know, you're not beating them, you're not being mean to them. You're just, you're getting them through the saddling and riding them part the best you could. And for the most part, that was great. Uh, um, Dealing with problem horses, dealing with horses that have a history or really, really tough-minded ones, um, that's where things started to change. So when I was, oh man, I was like 20, 21, 21, I broke my foot really bad. And anyway, after I got healed up, I ended up going up to Montana and I worked for uh, a friend of mine's dad up there his folks had a ranch in bernie montana and um his name is bill mckinney and he showed me a lot of different things about horses that i didn't um i kind of knew were out there but uh just a lot of groundwork a lot of round pin work a lot of different things and it really opened up my mind it really inspired me to learn more and I worked really, really hard at it and I ate it up. And, you know, then when I went back to Wyoming and started working at the ranch again, um, my boss got a five-year-old out of South Dakota that was basically had never been touched. I think they might've roped him and tied him down or threw him down and cut him when he was a colt. And then that was the only time. <laughs> what that a was great, the only what time exposure, right? Yeah. That was the only time he'd ever been around a human. And so when I got him, it's basically like a wild horse and, you know, you, he would strike, he would kick, he was really just afraid of you. And I told myself on this one, I'm not going to force him to do anything. Uh, 
I just worked with them and worked with them in the round pen until I could get up to them and, and touch them and get them caught and get them saddled and never tied his feet up. Um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with doing those things, but I wanted you know, if they're done in the right situation or whatever. I think that's um, it right there. You hit the nail on the head, right? As long as the, the intention is correct and you're not yeah. just being malicious and bounding a horse so you can jump on its back. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's the whole foot tied up thing. I, I haven't used a scotch hobble for years, but would I? Would I today or tomorrow if I if I thought it was necessary? Yes. You know, what I might do is um, rope his feet first and teach him to yield off of the rope um and lead by his feet and then if i wanted to tie a foot up on him or whatever i would do that i don't know i mean a person just has to use his total awareness and feel with every situation and and i'm not gonna say there are things that i would i would never do that some people do but um you know just forming a complete black and white i will never ever ever do this opinion is not that productive i don't think in horsemanship because you can always use something you know like obviously i'm i'm not gonna club them with barbed wire or like <laughs> you know you I mean yeah. there there are there are the few hard and fast black and white rules right as far as abusing an animal but i get what you're yeah where you're coming from i mean because it's such a thinking man's game you can't necessarily be narrow-minded and say it's only this, that, or the other. You got to be willing to to accept some forms uh, of outside the box thinking or theory or approach. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, if it if it's some thing that you put into your bag of tricks and you only have to pull it out once in your life, but it really helps you along with one animal or whatever. Uh, if you never, if you said absolutely not, and you never would have put that in there then you don't have it you know and yeah. that's just using self-control and awareness with your horses is like that's the hardest thing as a human to do and it's the most um, productive thing that you can do it's hard for you me know? some of these days like for example the last couple of days out here have been real hot i mean we're upwards of a, a way over 100 degrees already and uh so i don't really want to physically exert the the animal or the horse you know Mm-hmm. But we'll get in the pen and we'll start doing a little bit of liberty work. Uh, and it's funny how you can you can still work this horse mentally, right, and get him going and, and have a productive day, but you're not out there loping and loping and loping and loping and running through the big country and physically taxing this horse. You know, you can still have those productive days, but you're just working on the six inches between the ears, you know? Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, on days like that, it, you know how how little does it take you know and how what am i what do i miss on the days where i'm ready to you know really get this sucker going and you know and for I me mean, i know early on i would think and if we're not riding or we're not working on the actual skill set then it's not a productive day but now i've changed my personal perspective and it's just like you talked about right now is it how subtle can i be and how fast can i pick up that horse's response because yeah. often, oftentimes we go so fast, we don't even see the horse responding to, to a cue or to an aid or to a signal or even their awareness or attention span changing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think when you really start to slow down and focus on your awareness, like we've talked about, 
and those very subtle cues those horses are are giving us, the experience is going to help you tenfold down the road. Yeah, absolutely. But it's tough because nobody really wants to have a slow day, especially in the Western world, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that, and that's man. I I used to live at a place where I was riding horses and to get down to the barn I'd have to walk over a hill and a friend of mine one day said I bet those horses sit down there and they're just like waiting for to see the top of your hat coming over the hill and then they say oh god here he comes here we go yeah and I thought about that and um man it really changed how I approached my day it was like because by golly I had I got work ethic. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to get all these horses rode and I'm going to get this done and that done and this and that and the other and make, you know, make my living and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. We're going to make today count. Yeah. I got to keep these customers happy. And, and then I was like, well, what about them horses? Like, so if I go down and there's one that, you know, he's this way or that way, I might catch him and lay him over and tie him in the shade of a tree or, you know, like just a little, the little things. And I started to try to do that and, and to change my approach wasn't like, it's a big job to do. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to change the way I do things. And it wasn't detrimental to my program. It was actually made it better because, um, for the most part, those horses started to sort of look forward to me showing up, Yeah, you know, and that right there is is a huge thing for me and am i asking any less of them no but it's just the way that i ask it's just the way that i do ask them that and i'm not i'm not here to say that i've never you know forced my way with a horse or or whatever but um it's having that compassion or that empathy for the animal um and so he doesn't wait over the hill going, Oh God, here yeah, he comes. And take off take off over the hill after that. Yeah. And you know, I do. My my personal horse, he's he was hard to catch when I first got him. And he's still hard to catch today. And if, so people want to judge me on that, go ahead. But I mean, he's he's an individual. I think the greatest part about it, right, is just understanding the change and that it's going to take place. Are any of us perfect in our horsemanship? Absolutely not. Do each and every one of us have things to improve on? Absolutely. What bugs me is that people get so hard and fast with all these rules and, and what's right and what's good and what makes a good horse and what doesn't, you know. And to me, those people are just in the way. You know, this needs to be with, with <laughs> it's, it's true. It's, it, and I apologize if I offend somebody, I guess not really, but, um, no, it's all right. I like that in the way they are, you know, there, there's so much to learn to this that, that if anybody claims to be perfect or that they know it all, or that they can handle every horse, I would run the other way in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. We all have things to work on, and and one of the greatest things that has happened with this show is the network of listeners and the network of guests and everybody supporting everybody else. I mean, week in and week out, I will get messages from people all over the world, you know, hey, I'm having an issue with this, or I want to learn more about that, or hey, have you ever had experience with this type of horsemanship? And I can tell people, no, I haven't, but you know what? I talked to this guy one time that does. 
and make that introduction. And now, now we as a community are starting to grow. And I think some of it is lost because people are just competitive by nature, but but really, when we start investing in each other, that's when the the growth really starts to take place. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So let's let's move on a little bit from the horsemanship stuff because I wanna I wanna talk about your music. How did you get your start in in music? And I guess we'll talk about some of the influences after that. Well, my dad plays uh, the guitar. He actually plays uh, quite a few instruments, but. Growing up, he played the guitar mostly and sang, and always my uncle too. And there's always a campfire and guitars and the whole nine yards, you know. And so I was exposed to it from an early age. Um, I wasn't in until I got was in high school that I started to want to learn my own myself to play and. Uh, yeah, I actually wrote songs before I ever learned to play the guitar. Um, I don't know why I have this memory of, let's say my mom and dad had milk cows, and I think they had milk cows so that my brother and I had a consistent chore all the time. <laughs> and so if you've ever if you've ever milked a cow morning and night, every day before and after school, you know that there's a, a amount of boredom that comes with that. I was going to say the, the milk cows became the babysitter. So your parents had a little piece. Yeah. <laughs> so when you got your head in the flank of a milk cow waiting to get to the bottom of the bag there, you're, I would sing and I would, you know, make up my own words. And so that kind of leads into influences of Chris Ledoux and Ian Tyson music that my parents listened to and the stories that they told with their music inspired me to write my own stories and you know on down the line here I am 20 some years later and I've got four albums of songs that I've written and working on a fifth one and it's that's kind of how that whole journey started and went and I was gonna say I think with your style of music you know it fills a void that that "Quote unquote popular country music is very much missing. I think, I think big time record labels have gotten in the way a little bit, and we've lost sight of the whole storytelling side of music. You know, it's just become almost shallow entertainment. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that just about everybody in Western or I don't know North America would agree with you yeah. because you know everybody's fed up with." You know, Nashville and L.A. is just one big mess. And um, you've got your sort of fringe country people out there that are still telling stories and putting out good music. And the thing with cowboy or Western music is it really connects to the heart of people that are connected to the Western lifestyle, whether through horses or ranching or whatever. Um there's not that much out there mainstream that is connecting to that. And a good example would be, you know, Garth Brooks. He had a few, like the cowboy song on some of his early records. And yeah. he did some stuff with Chris Ledoux and, um, you know, that really spoke to the rodeo or cowboy, um, 
part of the of the West and and put it into the mainstream. But in this day and age, you know, who's doing that? I'm not sure. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't I don't call 15 of my friends and go to the lake and drink all day and sit on the back of a truck. That's just not realistic. There's too much work to get done in this life to just air it all out on drinking beer and hanging out at the lake. Yeah, there's only only so many you know tailgates and and mud flaps and sweet tea that you can take before, <laughs> before you before, start to get before, sick. Yeah, before you just have to turn it off and listen to your horse eating his grain. You know, yeah. I don't know. No, you no, you're speaking the truth in that regard. So throughout your music journey, what has been some of the more influential songs that you've written, or or some of the more meaningful songs, I guess, that you've written. Um, well, I don't know how familiar you are with my music. I had an album called The Voice, and uh, there was a song on there that I wrote called Horseman. Yeah. Um, and man, I really like that song. It really has something to say, and um, I think it speaks a lot to the awareness, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's a a line in there. It says, "I've done all the groundwork that I can afford." Now it's time that I climb aboard. No Dorrance or Hunt can blame me, me for quirks. Bronco today, tomorrow he works. And that's um, part of that is kind of near and dear to me because while I don't want to, you know, force a horse or rush him or whatever, there is a aspect of learning how to get around one enough to where, you know, you can go from uh, – never having ridden him to having him ridden in a couple of days, a couple of saddlings and get outside and maybe go check some country or give him a job. I mean, right away. And it's not like you're asking his life, but um, I find that uh, sometimes we maybe spend a lot of time kind of dinking around and, and, and that is completely okay if that's what you need to do but i think a difficult part for a lot of people though is understanding what is the next step and and when do i take that step so much of horsemanship right is preparation and we talked about it earlier in the conversation when you talked about tying a horse's leg up and saddling and then the new approach or a newer approach i should say right is is roping that horse's feet and getting them to understand what pressure is in their feet and giving to the pressure in their feet Right, you're now preparing that horse for the next step, but so much of this education is trial and error. And I know in my experience early on, I was kind of afraid to maybe mess up the progress that I had made in the horse. Right, if I if I push the envelope too fast or I push the horse out of its comfort zone, but I think falling back or I guess looking back now, horses are pretty darn resilient and uh, they're way more intelligent than what we give them credit for. And sometimes it's okay to kind of color outside the lines and then you realize, okay, I, I'm outside of my boundaries. This is what I need to do to get back on track. So sometimes, sometimes people are are paralyzed by the fear of progression. Oh, and you, I mean, what you're saying is what, what have you learned from horses? Well, it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Don't, don't live your life afraid to make a mistake because I mean, and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I, you know, I have a, a little bit of a confidence problem. Yeah. I have my whole life and I'm, however, be, by doing the things that I've done, um, yeah, like 
let's try this, let's try that. And it is scary because I don't want to mess up, but those horses are forgiving. And, um, I mean, it's the whole picture. Like if you're, if you have some awareness and you're, you know, I mean, you obviously aren't going to do some things over the top to, you know, ruin this horse for life. I mean, if you do, then, then you're, you got to start over, but yeah, I probably shouldn't be operating around horses anyway. Yeah. But (laughs) I mean, I mean, don't be afraid to make a mistake. That's, that's the whole, the greatest thing in life. And, and sometimes the hardest thing to do. And especially when we find one thing that works, um, and you just stick and grind on that. Um, and that's great. And you, and you'll, and you'll be known as like, Oh, he's the guy that can get this done. But and that's will it. you ever, will you ever, <laughs> yeah. And 20 years later, that's all you're getting done. You know? Yeah. It's hard though, because human nature, you find confidence in comfort. Absolutely. Right. It's, but growth doesn't start to take place until you get to uncomfortable. That's right. So do you think right. that is the greatest gift the horse has given you? Is that, that confidence and that understanding that, Hey, you can make mistakes. I I don't know if it's the greatest. I mean, it is definitely, um, it is definitely a gift I I think I've gotten from horses is, is to have that confidence. Um, man, if I was to answer that question, like the greatest gift, it would be, um, I don't know if I could answer that right now. There's a lot of different things that confidence there's, um, self-awareness is a huge one, you know, I mean, how, how I think, how I act, how I move, you know, it's, it really has an effect on the environment around me and, um, whether it's a horse or my girlfriend or, you know, an audience, Yeah, you know, you've got to, um, have that self-awareness yeah. and it's a really hard thing to, to grasp, I think. Very much so. Very much so. Let's circle back though to the music part of things um, because we're just going to keep digressing and everything is going to be horsemanship through and through on this episode. I can very much feel that going. You said okay. you, have, you, you have four album releases, right? And you correct me if any of this is wrong. 2008 was the old Roan. Yeah. Two, 2012 was a voice. Yeah. 2016 was making history. Yeah. And 2018 was your recent release of Just Cowboy. Yeah. All of those albums can be found on mattrobertsoncowboymusic.com, correct? Yes. Let's talk about your upcoming album, soon to be released. So I'm working on an album at home, and we're going to call it Bronx Star. We've got a, a song that's sort of a parody of the Nickelback uh, rock star song. And a friend of mine, a friend of mine and I co-wrote the Bronx star song, and that's going to be the title track, but, um, I'm still writing, uh, I've got enough material for a full album, but I'm still writing songs for it. Um, I'm, like I said, I've done some highly produced stuff in the past and this one is going to be a kind of a bare bones, me and my guitar back to the roots type of thing um like i say i'm a pretty busy guy and i got a pretty good jump on it last fall 
so for you and your experience in music, we we had a previous guest, Genevieve Allen. She was on, and and she had a, a record label deal at one point, and then went back towards the independent route. Just for her, you know, it was the freedom and the ability to make kind of your own choices and what what the music is. I know a lot of your journey in music has been that independent route, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. So for you, what are what are kind of the hurdles in that? But what are the joys that you find in in having more control? Um, you know, I I don't know anything about what it's like to be part of a record label or anything like that. But, um, you know, how I started out was I would make my own homemade albums at home just with a tape recorder and I would mass produce those. And then when I'd go to a rodeo, I would just hand them out to everybody. So before I ever recorded a professional album, there was a, my music was from New York city to Texas to Canada. Like, um, I would, people kind of knew who I was through by the things that I did like that. And so it just kind of continued on. I kept making my, my albums, uh, and it's expensive to do. It can be expensive. Um, and then just anytime I'd play a show or whatever and you sell CDs, people would order CDs or whatever. That's kind of how the whole album thing works for me. Now that we have, now that we have the digital download stuff, I mean, I'm all over the world. I mean, from South Africa to Europe. Um, it's incredible how fast things move, huh? Yeah, it's crazy. And you know, if I, if I die a millionaire or in a cardboard box, I don't really care. I really am humbled and proud that people all over the world listen to my, to my music, you know, and that's, and it's maybe not the best business sense. I don't, really, <laughs> I don't really care. I don't really care. Well, if your passion is the music and that's, that's where your heart lies, then so be it. Right. And, and you talked about with, with the advent of all these electronic forms of media, you don't have to have the big record label anymore and you don't have to have CDs pumped out or albums pumped out per se. You know, you can upload right, right there onto the the internet and there you go for the whole world to have. So you have have that luxury in that regard. And the downside of all that, I guess, is, um, it's harder to, to make a lot of money doing it, I guess. Um, but man, so, you know, if I had that when I was a, a kid, I could, I could have made my old homemade albums and put them on the internet and who knows how far it would have went. Yeah, you know? exactly. But, so that's, yeah, it's, I said there's good and bad with it, but I would rather look at the good. And, you know, if I want to make, if I want to get rich, uh, I better learn how to get rich. But if I want to make music and have people listening to it, like it's, it's out there and it's got to keep doing it. Well, I think the greatest thing with your music too, as we talked about is that, I mean, that connection, right? There is a soulful connection with the lyrics in which you've written the, the sound of the music itself, right? And how it's, how it's orchestrated. It's just, it's, it's pure, it's raw, it's honest, right? It's something people can relate to. And that's going to leave a, a far greater impression than, some of the other stuff that we talked about. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that's the thing is when, as a songwriter, you know, what are you, what am I going to write about? Well, I, 
I want to write about something that makes that makes me feel, you know, and yeah. I hopefully hopefully I can pass that feeling on to the listener Absolutely. in some way, you know. Absolutely. So let's transition a little bit into uh, Heart of the Horse. So we'll be releasing more information through my show as far as the event and what it entails. But in short, Nikki Flunders put on an amazing production that will be going on in the latter part of September, just south of Calgary, Alberta there. Um, Horsemanship type event. Uh, The focus is on the wonderful things that the horses have done for us. How did you become involved in that project and kind of what is the role that you'll be playing? I know Nikki Slender from, um, actually her husband, Dustin, was in college when I was in college down there in the States. And she was is putting on this event with Glenn Stewart and Dan James. And it's a sort of a cult starting competition. And she wanted, you know, she had, Glenn, he was a, he's a really good clinician from BC and Dan James is, he's run one road to the horse a couple of times, I think, and very respected Liberty guy and reigning trainer. And and she wanted someone from the Western cowboy background to be involved in. So she asked if I wanted to come and I'll tell you what, I couldn't sleep for a few days. Um, really struck me with a lot of anxiety because I it's totally out of my comfort zone. Yeah. But I said finally I said sure. Um what an opportunity to learn something different, see something different and you know, compete for a $20,000. Said not a bad check, not at all. Yeah. So it should cover the diesel to get down there, right? Well, and it's <laughs> it's basically in my backyard, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's an hour and 15-minute drive from my house. Oh, so that's not bad why, at all. Why would I say no? Yeah, we're going to end up dragging the podcast up there. We'll be set up and, and doing interviews with Dan and Glenn and yourself and Nikki and whoever else she awesome. has lined up. So we're very much looking forward to the event. Unfortunately for us, we'll be driving probably 17, 18 hours to get up there. <laughs> but uh, no, when uh, Nikki and I first started talking about it, I thought same thing. I mean, what an incredible opportunity to be part of such a great event and – we're very much looking forward to it and getting to put, you know, faces to names and and just see see what the horse is all about. I think Nikki, she, she was a previous guest here on the show. I think she was episode 23 at Let Freedom Rain podcast. And what an incredible human being and so much influence yeah. in the industry, but her heart is just, it's always in the right place. Yeah. She's a great person. Very, very, very good event. So let's talk a little bit about all of the social media avenues that you have and and some of the outlets where people can kind of consume more of your music and more of your content. I know we discussed your website, but as far as is platforms where your, your music is available and social media avenues, what are those? Um, I do have a Facebook page, um, a personal one, and I have a, a music page. Um, I do have an Instagram account. I don't really manage that very very well page does um the website um and i'm on itunes and spotify and all those things and everything is under matt robinson cowboy music yeah um matt robertson on itunes and is is where you'll find my music there's a couple of us but 
I'm obviously not the techno guy, so, um, uh, yeah, to tell you the truth, um, my girlfriend Paige runs the, the social media side of things and I'm not very good at all that. I do look at Facebook once in a while. Um, but I think the it's website, a, it's a huge hurdle web- for all of us in the Western world. The technology yeah. just did not come naturally. Yeah. Well, you know, you said earlier, you, you don't have time to sit around and drink beer at the lake. And I mean, we don't even have a TV, yeah. you know, like yeah. I don't, we don't have time. It seems like to do a lot of extra, just stuff like uh, entertainment, I guess. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm not going to say that I don't get on Facebook, but. Um, <laughs> the social media gets very time consuming or it can get very time consuming if you. A, if you're not not in tune with it, which is a struggle of mine, but B, yeah. you see, I mean, shoot, you go out in these bigger cities and how many people you see just walking around with their head down? Oh, it drives me nuts. Right, man. walking right me. into light poles and they wonder why their purse is getting ripped off their shoulder and yeah, you just want to stop and tell them, hey, there's a whole world right here in front of you. You just got to put that phone away for a second. Yeah. Yeah. We should not get started on this subject, actually. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. and and then you combine that that um, those habits and mentalities with people that that have horses, and then it starts to get pretty. You know, it's funny. People often uh, ask me, "Well, how come we don't have pictures of you and your horse, or you riding your horse, or you you know video and you riding your horse?" When I go out to work with my horse, it's me and my horse. I could care less about taking a picture. I could care less about a video or social media. Now, oftentimes after the fact, I think, oh man, that could have been a good opportunity for social media. But yeah, when, when the really, moment. Yeah, when you're really invested in the horse, like I don't need the distraction of what my phone is going off or do I need yeah. to take a picture now? Absolutely. You know, so I very much level with you in that regard that, that it's just not my forte. Yeah. So in all of your experience with, with horses and with music and life as a whole, what are words that you kind of live by or life, life lessons that you would like to pass on? Life lessons that I would like to pass on, you know, uh, being able to adjust to fit a situation is one of the greatest things I think that, that you can learn, you know, as a, as a cowboy or a horseman, um, cause people say, well, how do you, how, how is this going to go? And I don't, I don't know, you know, and life is like that. You know, when I step into the pen or I ride out in the pasture to gather some cows, we kind of have an idea of what we might want to try and how to start things. But at the end of the day, the plan was going to change a hundred percent. And if I'm not willing to accept that, and if go with the flow, then, you know, I've got to do some real personal work because, you know, life, when you start out and you have an idea of how it's going to go, it's going to change. And so I think being able to, to think on your feet and adjust to fit a situation is going to help you with your horses. It's going to help you with your life. It's just a really good skill to to have and it's something that i haven't focused on too much and until the last few years of my life you know uh we do not we cannot control every circumstance right but we can control the way we respond to circumstance 
right? Absolutely. I think that's that's a phenomenal point you make. And the other point that you made there is that people need to understand that it's okay to have the answer, I don't know. So oftentimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to know it all or create that image that we know it all that when you really start to get down to the humility of life, there's so much to it. It's okay to not know, right? But those yeah. of us that are hungry and those of us that that want to seek perfection and expertise, it's only a matter of time till you go out and hunt it down. Yeah, I don't know, but I, but I'll go find out, or I'm gonna find out. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and there's a a ton of that that goes along with that, you know. Yeah. Having a having a, a work ethic, you know, to go. Yeah, man, I'm. I don't know how to do that, but I'm gonna learn how. Yes, you sir. Know? Absolutely. Well, Matt, I want to thank you again very much for making time for everybody here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. For everybody listening, mattrobertsoncowboymusic.com is where you can find all things Matt Robertson in relationship to music. Uh, very much looking forward to getting to meet you out there in September in Canada and yeah. at Heart of the Horse. And yeah. Let's put together another episode up there. Maybe we get a, a few minutes of downtime. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yes, sir. Well, so, best of luck thank- to you and everything you got going, and, and we'll see you in September. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Adios. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.